Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Tony DiSpirito of Synergistic. Tony, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Chris, thank you very much for having me on the program. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have you on, Tony. Tony, tell me a bit about your current role in Synergistic. You bet. So uh, I'm the chief revenue officer of a company called Synergistic. Synergistic is a Dallas-based company that focuses on energy and sustainability, specifically energy reduction uh, as measured by reduction in energy bills, literally reducing costs for our customers. The company's been around about 35 years with over 1,500 clients, primarily in K-12 schools, higher education, and, uh, and municipalities. Uh, we've saved our customers in the last 35 years. We've saved over $6 billion in measured recorded sales of, uh, I'm sorry, measured and in, uh, in, uh, in recorded energy reduction as measured in real dollar savings. So uh, I've only been in the role a couple of months now. So I was brought on to really professionalize and modernize our sales effort. In fact, I'm, act I'm actively hiring now across the United States. If you search the job boards out there, there are these regional vice president roles that I have. They're territory-based roles uh, with somebody that would own client uh, acquisition, client retention, uh, partner relationships within a specific geographical region in the U.S. I'm actively hiring. And uh, matter of fact, I've spent the morning interviewing uh, via video uh, several candidates. So yep. actively hiring. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's uh, okay, really great sure. to hear about. I love it when I hear uh, my guests talking about they're trying to hire because um, that's always a great topic. Um, Tony, how did you get your start in, or excuse me, let me back up before I jump into your career. What are the three things that have really contributed and driven your success? I think the first one is, is a, a personal discipline. Okay, so I did spend some time in the military in my 20s, about 10 years or so as an Air Force officer. And that personal discipline to be able to get up every day, run your calendar, you know, do everything you need to do and really be a self-starter, that personal discipline, it has to start with you. You know, it's often been said that, you know, nobody can put pressure on yourself like you put pressure on yourself. So that personal discipline uh, to do it over and over again. And yes, the things you'll do during the day change. However, the discipline to look at your calendar, to have a to-do list. In fact, um, I actually do a to-do list every Monday morning. Uh, I do it in Excel, right? It's, it's no big deal, very, very basic thing. But I have every Excel to-do list going back to 2006 by the week, everything I'm supposed to do. And while most of it is, is uh, professional, there is a certain group that are personal things. Uh, pick up the dry cleaning, pick up the kid from school, because as people, you have to, you know, you've got a whole life and you need to balance. That's, that's thing one, personal discipline. Secondly, is a relentless, I think, is a relentless focus on customer or client success. What is it that we can do to enable our clients to be successful? It doesn't matter what you're selling. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. That relentless focus on making those customers or clients successful, whatever you need to do. And the third thing, and this is, I joke with my children, I've got three kids, I joke with them all the time, um, it's follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Okay, uh, you can follow up without being 
uh, without being a pest, you can be professionally persistent, but you'd be amazed at just making that at that third call or that fourth call or that fifth call and you finally get them to respond on the fifth call. So it's follow up, follow up, follow up. Those are my three, my three keys, self-discipline, relentless focus on client or customer success and follow up, follow up, follow up. That's awesome. Um, I love that, uh, especially, I like all three of them, but that the follow-up one I think is great because I think there's, uh, you know, for probably people more out, outside of sales, there's a reluctance or fear of like, oh, I don't want to take anybody off by, you know, being, I think I don't want them to be, I'm a, I think I'm a past, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's just, it's all in how you do it, right? That, that's correct. You can be professionally persistent and these days, there are many ways to reach out to a customer. It could be an email, it could be a phone call, it could be a video call, it could be a face-to-face. -face. Uh, I'm not beyond sending handwritten thank you notes. I'm a little bit old school, okay? Everybody loves to receive mail, especially these days when everything is over email. You receive a handwritten thank you note or a handwritten note asking for some of their time. It sounds a little bit old school, but it is very, very effective. It's all about standing out. And you think about how many people that, you know, nobody does that anymore. So right. Right. if you're doing it, you're standing out. Standing out. You, you absolutely are. You know, the other thing I do is more of a, it's a, it's a silly little anecdote, but, uh, <clears throat> and I learned this almost 30 years ago. So when I travel and, uh, and somebody helps with my, my bag or opens a door, just something, some type of service they're providing for me as the business traveler, um, I tip with a $2 bill because when somebody receives a $2 bill, the first thing they do is look at it and go, wow, that, I haven't seen a $2 bill and they'll probably go home and give it to their kids. But the next time you come to the door or need their help, they're gonna remember you because you have stood out from this sea of business travelers. So I call the bank on occasion, I get $100 worth of $2 bills, I keep it in my backpack and I actually tip with sometimes two $2 bills, right? Cause I know, yeah. you know things are more expensive. Uh, but it makes you stand out as a person, as a professional, and that person will always remember you the next time you come down to breakfast, as an example. They'll, Mr. Desperado, nice to see you again. And um, it's a, it's a, it sounds silly, and it sounds a little old school. It's very effective. Very it's amazing. Effective. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's anything you can do to stand out in a crowd. Right. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. How did you get your start in sales? Oh, that's a good, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, I mentioned previously, I spent my 20s uh, in the military, seven years active duty in the Air Force, and then another three years in the uh, National Guard. Uh, and I, I got kind of recruited out of the military to come work for a local company here uh, in Rhode Island called APC, American Power Conversion, uh, power backups for computers and data centers, um, very young company at the time, early 90s. And the company had this knack for hiring these oddball engineers, folks with an engineering degree, but that could actually speak eloquently about the technology and work with customers. So I left the military and went to this, this kind of small company that got very big, very, very quickly. Uh, and there were a lot of guys like me running around. We had some technical undergrad degrees. I uh, picked up a master's along the way, but I was really thrust into, into customer relationships and kind of thrust into sales. Now, that was almost... I'm dating myself. That's almost 30 years ago. So I've gone through um, so many different sales trainings, you know, selling to Vito, getting to Yes, uh, Miller Hyman, Dale Carnegie, you name it. I've been through all the sales training. And what I find is that um, if that sales DNA is inside of you, okay, and good salespeople, it's there. 
Uh, if you have that DNA, these sales trainings tend to bring nuggets to you. Okay, you'll pick up a nugget here, a nugget there. Even if you've been in sales for 30 years, you'll pick up a nugget that you can use. Uh, but I was kind of thrust into it. And what I found out relatively quickly within a year or two, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. And coming out of the military, I was only 30 or 31 years old, but I kind of stood out from my age peers because I had had a lot of accountability and responsibility at a very, very young age. Uh, and I developed this, this kind of knack for sales. I was becoming successful. I started to make some, some good money at the time uh, in sales. I was asked to take on a sales leadership role, which is different than being a salesperson, okay? And I, I, I said, yes, I would, I would like to do that. Uh, and then it just kind of launched this career of, of large companies, small companies, direct selling, indirect selling, carrying a bag, leading those who are. Um, I think it's ultimately led me to this role right here as the CRO of this you know, relatively small but growing company. Yeah. What was it about you know, that offer to be a sales leader that pulled you into that world? I think, again, I go back to my time in the military, right? Having a lot of accountability at a very, very young age, I enjoyed the, the personnel leadership, right? Having, having people on your team, you know, setting goals and directions for that team and then enabling them to succeed. I had that in the military, you know, it was a little bit different, but I had it there. And when I was offered the chance to step into a sales leadership role, um, I didn't even think twice. I'm like, okay, well, leadership is leadership, whether you're you know, leading people into combat or you're leading a, a sales team or a marketing team or any team, leadership is leadership, right? You provide a vision, you set goals and objectives, you equip the team to achieve those goals and objectives, and then you step out of their way and you let them achieve. And you always, you're always there for them. I joke with my sales team right now, um, I will try to answer the phone any, now, granted, it's not a huge team, but I will try to answer the phone anytime you call. And if I can't answer, I will text you when I can answer your call. I want to be uh, very available to them. But uh, that chance to lead people, to lead the teams, to set that direction and enable others to succeed, that's what originally drove me to jump at the sales leadership uh, role. Initially. What was your biggest surprise, either positive or negative, about sales leadership? I think I surprised. Good question. I think uh, I think I surprised myself. I thought that I was a, a pretty decent leader in the military. I was trained well, but I really had a knack for it, right? And I, and I had a good friend of mine when I took this job about about two months ago. So about three months ago, I told him I was going to leave what I was doing and go do something else. And he paid me one of the biggest compliments that I think I've ever been paid. He said, "You know what? You're going to do well because success seems to follow you." He said, "You have a way with people." You have a way with teams. You have a way with setting a vision that is, you know, it's it's not common, and success follows you. So, uh, the biggest thing that surprised me was, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. This is like leading people into combat. Only the targets are a little different. Again, the target <laughs> is a is a is a closed piece of business, a closed contract, a a big sale, and yeah, nobody's shooting at us technically. They kind of are, right? Somebody's trying to shoot objections across the, you know, across the windscreen kind of thing. Um, but I, but I surprised myself that I, I, a lot of the skills translated into the civilian world. Um, and after doing it for a few years, um, you can make some money doing this too. I mean, I, I quickly eclipsed my military salary. I would say 
less than three years after being out, I was already making more money. And of course, everybody looks at sales as a as a glamorous profession. And you know, the you know, sales guys make a lot of money, etc. That all may be true. What people fail to see is the hard work and the discipline that go behind all of that success. It doesn't just happen overnight. Right. It's yeah, it's the same as anything. You got to put in the effort. Right. Um, thinking back over those years in, in sales, what's your craziest story you could share with us? Well, over 27 or 28 years, I've had a few, a few crazy stories. One, one that comes to mind. All right. So I won't mention the name of the company, but it was about uh, almost 10 years ago. It was the 2012 London Olympics. All right. The company I was at had just paid big dollars to sponsor uh, kind of an executive visit, a customer visit house at the Olympic Village. Very exciting. And when I say a lot of money, uh, you know, it had seven digits in it, a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I was responsible for our partner. So we were doing this with a partner. So we, uh, we said, okay, uh, we are allowed to have um, an executive in residence physically in the village for the entirety of the Olympics. And I said, okay, great. Um, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the guy running the, the partnership here, but, you know, I went to the CEO of the company and he declined. He had travel planned, uh, vacation planned. I went down four levels in this company and it's a pretty big company. Um, and I got, no, 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 I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. And I finally said, I will do it. So I went and spent, uh, almost a full month. It was like 26 days at the London Olympics at the Olympic village um, I got to meet CEOs. I got to meet royalty. I got to meet Olympic athletes. I went to a dozen Olympic events with customers. Um, greatest business trip of my life. Craziest trip because I literally asked four other executives in my chain of command at the time. I asked them to do it and they all said no. And I said, I'll do it. I will step forward. I will take responsibility for this. We generated about $150 million of opportunity from my 26-day stay uh, at the London Olympics. And oh, by the way, I have memories that literally will last a lifetime. I got to meet living legends. I, just, I met everybody, including royalty, while I was there. I met the prime minister at the time of, of the UK, and um, it was crazy. It was crazy that it was just me. You know, at the time, this is you know, 10 years ago, um, I'm the only guy. I'm representing the entirety of our company at the Olympics. And now I'm watching Usain Bolt break the uh, win the gold medal in the hundred meters, and I was three rows off the field. Crazy. That is, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting thinking, I'm like, what a life memory! <laughs> Holy cow! It, it's look, I have I've done I've traveled all over the world. I've got great, great business trip stories. That one is like three levels above the even even the best story. And oh uh, yeah. What a memory. What a oh, memory. yeah, that's incredible. And the fact that you also wasn't just a trip, you're able to generate significant business opportunities out of it. Absolutely. I mean, I, like I was doing my diligent sales thing as I would meet somebody, I would get their information, get a card. I followed up with them afterward. I did everything you're supposed to do. Yep. And honestly, it didn't feel like work to me. I was staying in central London. And of course, the Olympics were out uh, to the east of London and Westfields. And I would get on the tube every day like a Londoner. I had my Oyster card on the tube and I went to work. Um, it never felt like work to me, uh, literally for almost four weeks. What an experience. That's incredible. I love that. That's an amazing story. Um, and what you can have, you know, what can happen with a great career in sales. That's terrific. Absolutely. And that's that's the probably the craziest story. But I mean, I have I have 
I've been all over the world. I have been to all types of sporting events with customers. Uh, and I've also been in the trenches with them when things weren't going well and had to have the hard conversations. Um, so it's not all a life of, of glitz and glamour. When it does happen, it's pretty good, though, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you mentioned in the intro you're hiring. Yes. How much of success, a sales leader's success, comes from their team? Well, let's touch on hiring first. All right. So, as a sales leader, I think hiring is probably the most important thing you can do. Right. I talk about finding the right people, setting them up for success, and then you know enabling them, and then getting out of their way. I think hiring is literally the most important thing that a sales leader could do, whether you're hiring one, two, 10, 20, 100 people, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's the most important thing you can do. It's where you should put your effort because if you find the right people in the right set of circumstances with the right background, they will perform for you. So as a sales leader of my team, my success is the team's success, okay? And I'm there to enable them to be successful. The more successful they are, the more successful I will be as the leader. So hire correctly, spend the time. And I know it's tedious sometimes. And you, yesterday I sifted through 80 resumes. I found 12 that I really liked. I reached out to all 12 and I have nine interviews scheduled over the next uh, two business days. And uh, these are just short uh, teams or Zoom based uh, 30 minute videos just to see if there's a little bit of a connection. If we like it, then I'll take it to the next step. Uh, I know it's tedious. Um, it is the most important thing you could do is hire the right people because ultimately your success will depend on their success as a sales leader. Yeah, I couldn't agree more that it's it's all about the team. And I think, think some of the best advice I ever got when it came to hiring was hire slow. Yeah, take, I, take I agree. The time. Take the time. I, I agree because 100% because a bad hire, or I'm sorry, a, the wrong hire, they're not bad people, they just might have, might have the right whatever, the wrong hire is gonna set you back months and months, if, if not years. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some, some incorrect hires at larger companies where it literally took two years to work itself through the system. Um, and that's a problem. Try to avoid that mistake. It's just going to cost you in the long run. It might cost you sales. It's certainly going to cost you your mental health and the stress uh, and the time you have to put in with somebody who, you know, you just made the wrong hire. That's all. They're not bad people. They're just the wrong hire. Do you have a personal philosophy or your professional philosophy about how you like to structure your team? Uh, I would say, and I'm looking, I'm thinking about the team right now, the current team, and I've only been in this role a couple of months here. I have varied backgrounds on the team. I have some folks that are classically trained sales professionals. Uh, I have some folks that have come from other professions, but somehow landed at this company here. And the philosophy that I've given them, and I've, and I've started, um, uh, they needed some discipline and structure. So the first thing I did was uh, give quotas to the team. They've never had, never had quotas. Um, I set everybody up on a weekly one-on-one. -on -one. This goes back to my discipline comment from the beginning of the show. Uh, everybody has a uh, has at least 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one with me. I talk to them three or four times a week, but there's a 30-minute slot every Friday where we get to spend one-on-one -on -one time. We can talk about anything. I ask that you come prepared with an agenda. Okay, I'd prefer to see an agenda in email, but you know, it can be a verbal agenda. Uh, and then I set up an all-sales monthly call. And on the last all-sales monthly call, I said, guys, <clears throat> as regional vice presidents in our company, you own the territory. I want you to think of yourself as the CEO of the territory. 
You're responsible for client acquisition. You're responsible for client retention. You're responsible for working with our partners that enable us to, uh, to sell into the territory. You are the CEO of that territory. Now we're gonna work together and I'm gonna set a goal for you for your specific territory. And we're gonna measure the correct things uh, on progress toward that goal. But I need you to feel like you are empowered to succeed in your territory. My job, in addition to you know, setting the vision, helping you set the targets, helping you craft the strategy and the plan, my job is to make sure you have everything you need to be successful. And that may include keeping people out of your way. Now, we're a relatively small company. I'm thinking more of the bigger company experience where there's always a sales prevention team somewhere in a big company. My job is to keep the runway clear for you to be successful. Now, I expect results. I expect you're going to hit the target. I expect that you're going to have a plan that I'll help you craft to hit that target. Now, if we're not going to hit that target, that's a different discussion. And we're going to talk about different things. Uh, but I want to make sure you feel empowered and enabled to make your territory as successful as it can be. And it's amazing what people do when they feel empowered. And, and I've had this only oh, two or three times in my career or so where I have felt completely empowered to make change, you know, make a sale, lead a team. Uh, and I can tell you those feelings, that feeling of empowerment is, is no pun intended, but it's very powerful because it motivates people to perform at their best. What's the conversation like when... Uh things aren't going well, everybody hits a slump at some point in their career. Um, what's your approach when somebody is in heading in that downward trajectory? How do you engage with that individual? That's a great question because it happens, it happens to all of us. We all have bad days, bad we I've had bad years. Okay, absolutely. As sales professionals, this happens. Uh, for a variety of reasons, could be personal, could be professional, could be market driven, could be COVID, I don't know. Um, it always happens. What I like to do is uh, I've already established some level of personal relationship with my sales team, right? I'm a very uh, uh, outgoing person and, and I, I, I like to be friends with the people that I work with. We don't have to be Facebook friends, but I'm saying there's a relationship here. So I like to try to head off things if I see things slowing down or activity slowing down or booking slowing down. I like to try to get ahead of it and say, I mean, very, you know, very openly, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Because maybe there's a problem that I can't see. It could be, it could be a personal or a family issue. It could be a market issue. It could be a, hey, I can't get this guy's attention and I'm trying. So I try to head it off before it happens, right? I'm a big believer that, you know, the top metric is whatever the top metric is. So in this case, let's say it's bookings, right? Closed contracts, bookings, that's the top metric. And that's what's really, really important to everybody. Uh, there are all these submetrics underneath that deal with activity, right? Are you making the, the, the right number of calls? Are you getting the right number of meetings? Are you, you know, are you getting proposals delivered? All those submetrics. I'm the type of guy that tends to look at the top metric. How are you doing on closed business? If I see a slump, a slowdown, a weakness, then I will go down to level one, two, three metrics and say, okay, let's work on this together. Are you delivering enough proposals? Yes, no, maybe. Are you having enough uh, pre-proposal delivery meetings or discovery meetings to even generate a proposal? Yes, no, maybe. And uh, I believe there's an equation 
And this equation is different for every company and every market, but there's an equation that says, if you do so many discovery meetings, X number of discovery meetings, that'll lead to Y number of proposals. You work through all the objections and you're gonna get Z closure. There's an equation for every company. I don't know what mine is for this company. Once in my career, and it was like 2003, uh, I was running sales operations for a medium-sized company. And I came up with the equation with a lot of empirical data that says, you need to do X amount of meetings, deliver this many proposals, and it'll, it'll produce Z dollars or Z closed contracts. We used that equation to sell the company for seven times revenue back in the, the, the dot-com days. That equation exists for every company. So your question of what do you do when you start to see things, uh, you look at the top metric, okay, you look for weakness or softness there, then you start to go into the activity metric. Are we doing enough? And you may find that the answer is, no, you're not doing enough. You're not making enough calls. So let's look, let's look at your day. Go even more granular. Are you running your day? Remember that at the beginning of the show, we talked about that personal discipline. Do you bring that personal discipline to your day? And are you, are you calendaring tomorrow and next week and next month? Are you doing those, that minutia, those little details that make things flow? So I look at the top metric. I look for, uh, for any kinds of weakness. I've got this personal relationship where I can call you up and say, hey, Chris, last month wasn't very good, man. What's, what's happening? What's going on? Well, this, this, this. And then we start delving into the metrics of activity. Um, and I'll get to the root cause eventually. And then we can work on it together. You're not alone in your slump. I am right there with you. My success is your success. We are uh, united by a common goal. Uh, and I'm going to help you solve this issue. And I, I take a very, very personal approach. Even when I had teams of you know, 20, 30, 40 people the personal attention, especially in times of crisis or in times of a slump, uh, that's so important. That's so important to people's morale and to their psyche and to their motivation. Um, work on the problem with them and, and show them how to how to try to how to how to get better. Yeah. What's it like hiring over Zoom or Teams? <laughs> so uh, I've had to make a living on, on Teams and Zoom, you know, since March of, of 2020. Now, I've started traveling again for this role, uh, which traveling during COVID, okay, well, it sucks. All right, it just plain sucks. But And it's not just the masks, it's everything. Um, I found that the more you do it, the more you do interact like this, the better you get at it, okay? If you treat, uh, you know, I'm looking right now, I'm looking at the camera on my laptop but it's as if I'm looking you right in the eye and we're sitting across the table from each other. So you get good at it. Do I like it? Um, I like it as a pre-screen because in the first 10 minutes of, of talking to somebody, I can immediately tell if they're gonna be a cultural fit. I, I can feel it. I, and again, call it intuition, call it 30 years of experience, call it looking at thousands of resumes. Um, I can tell if they're gonna fit, which means the next 20 or 30 minutes are gonna be more about the job itself. Um, I would say any chance I get to go face to face with somebody, I'll take. It's just not practical uh, sometimes, especially now during COVID. It's just not practical. So you have to use it and um, you can get good at it. There are tips and techniques and lighting and all of the stuff we were talking about prior. Uh, you get good at it and it's not a replacement for face to face, but it certainly can um, digitally enable your sales process. Maybe there are things that we can do quicker on Teams or Zoom. Um, here's a specific example. 
if I call you up and say, hey, Chris, my name is Tony, and um, I would like to meet with you on Thursday for an hour uh, you know, at your location, and you may, like, you may be like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll meet with this guy, but I got to take an hour out of the day to meet with this guy, um, as opposed to me saying, hey, Chris, my name is Tony. Would you have 15 or 20 minutes to get on a video call with me? I just want to introduce something to you, get your impressions, um, and if it's not something you're interested in all, then we'll just move on. Now, I've just asked you for 15 or 20 minutes of your day sitting at your desk. All you have to do is hit a couple of keystrokes, listen to the guy, uh, and, and maybe maybe take some action if and only if you're interested versus asking you for an hour of your time at the Starbucks kind of thing. Um, it's, it's almost like you're more respectful of somebody's time uh, when you say, look, uh, how about a how about a Zoom call? How about a Teams call or you know whatever your favorite platform is? I feel like you're more respectful of their time. And I think that goes a long way. Uh, versus say, hey, saying, hey, I need an hour of your time and take time out of your day and get in your car and drive to the, you know, seems like a lot these days. And, you know, COVID has not, has not helped anything. Okay. COVID has changed a lot. COVID, COVID caused me to change jobs, change careers uh, because it was time to go do something else. I was, I was not, not, not pleased with kind of where we were and how things were going. And that's what actually caused me to proactively look for the role that I landed here a couple of months ago. So um, the things we learned during COVID are not going away. We're still going to do this. There's still going to be some level of, of video interaction. I will use it as a pre-screening tool going forward uh, for people uh, because it's really easy to get 30 minutes of your time versus saying, okay, take a full hour and meet me here. And we, okay, we, we might get to that. All right? And that will be part of the process. I, I'll not, I'm not going to hire you unless I've actually met you face-to-face. Uh, -face. Um, and uh, you know, that might be a little bit old school, but look, you got like I said before, you gotta hire right. You gotta hire the right people, hire slowly, as you said, uh, and get it right. And part of that is the, uh, is the presence that you bring to in front of me or in front of a, a prospective client. Yeah, you know, I, my team is virtual. We've been for, since 2007, and I have the craziest stories of, you know, before COVID of doing, I would do all like video calls to, you know, interview people across the country. I had one person who was a hoarder who was sitting in a room with just crap <laughs> everywhere in the background. And I'm like, do you not know what's behind you? This is a job interview. And I, I had a guy, I had a guy uh, at my previous company doing a video interview like this. He was in his car. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, a question. Um, uh, are you in your car? Yes, I'm in my car. I'm like, can you get to like, you know, an office, a desk, a table, the kitchen table? He's like, oh, I can't do that right now. I'm like, I tell you what, thanks very much for your interest. And yeah. that was, it was a, it was a 60 second interview. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm in my car. I'm like, what? <laughs> I had the, the absolute craziest one was, it was a guy in like a metal folding chair in an empty room with a bare light bulb over his head, I I wanted to as he's like in a warehouse. I wanted to ask him, "Are you being held hostage? Do I need to call the authorities?" <laughs> yeah, it was so crazy. And, oh my gosh! Oh. So that's one thing that with COVID, everybody's now on video. They've gotten a lot better about like yeah. having a good background, good lighting. Yep. You know, present yourself like present. you're in in person. So it's funny. What I do now during the COVID days, you now I have started traveling again for this for this job. But um, even today, today's an office day. Okay, so I'm here in my home office. I got up this morning like I every do, uh, like I do every day. I had breakfast. I took a shower. I shaved. I got dressed. 
yeah. like I was going to meet a client, only I'm sitting in my, my basement office here doing, you know, a lot of video yeah. work. So it, it's like a normal work day to me. I, I approach it with the same discipline as I would if I were at the Hilton in Dallas, getting ready to go see a customer in the morning type of thing. Yep. Same discipline, same approach. I don't get lazy. Uh, I, you know, I don't let the beard grow. I look terrible with a beard, by the way, or a mustache. Just, I look awful. It's embarrassing. And um, I, I don't let it go for three or four days. I shave every single day. That's just the way it is. And again, yep. sometimes I hear myself talk and I'm like, wow, you have become old school. But then I disagree. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is the way a professional presents themselves day in and day out. Exactly. That's, I tell my staff the same thing that, hey, expect to be on camera. So dress like you're going to work. Uh, you know, don't show up in your pajamas. Would you should go into a client in your pajamas? No. Then why are you on video in your pajamas? Correct. Hundred percent agree. And boy, you know, I I hope people who are who are listening to this, I, I hope you really listen because especially as I'm trying to hire doing these video pre-screens, um, I would say so far, and we just started here this week. So far, everybody has come just like this. You know, they're they're either in a nice part of their house or in their office and in a very professional work setting. Um, please take the time to make sure you're presentable, your workspace is presentable, and always, always be ready to be on video. That's right. That's right. Let's transition to talking CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? Okay. Um, I'm going to say I love it with a few caveats, okay? As a salesperson, um, I found it to be somewhat of a pain in the butt. You know, I got to fill out the CRM. I got to put all my, my, my notes in there. But you know what? It's a great record, a great client record of everything I've done. Everything is in the system. As a sales manager or a sales leader, great source of information. I At my fingertips, I have information about every client we've ever had, every sales opportunity we're engaged in. So these days I'm falling onto the I love it stage because it is, you know, it's supposed to be one version of the truth, excuse me, the full client record and, you know, an up to the minute uh, report of what's happening with the sales team and who's talking to whom and where things are. So that if the CEO calls me and asks me about a specific account, you know, give me 30 seconds or so and I can get you a, you know, to the dollar answer and tell you exactly where we are. So I'm going to fall on the I love it side. When it comes to the sales team, the frontline guys using CRM, um, what's your philosophy, to, philosophy around CRM, making sure it's actually a tool that benefits them? It's a good question because uh, we are now, and again, I have a relatively small team at this company. We're, we're going to double the size of this team. So uh, right now we're not using the web-based uh, platform of the CRM that we have. We are just starting next week. We're starting our beta trial of the web-based platform that allows them to do it from their phone or their iPad, you know, in the car, in the home office, whatever. So um, I don't want it to be a burden, but it is a necessary part of the job, right? You've got to record, you know, what we're doing, not only for a current status, but we're looking for patterns in what's working. And I'm looking at sales cycle time between stages. Is there anything we can do to shorten that? And uh, I'm looking at your notes and your comments and your, your time and date stamp on things, not to find fault with you, but to find patterns in the data that are going to make the entire team more successful going forward. Yeah, I love that. It's also, I talk about this a lot. We talked about the, the slumps that people get into. Yeah. 
do you use it as a tool for, you know, let's dig into the data when you're in a slump, let's see what's happening. What do you've logged in CRM? Yeah, so I do. That is one of those, you know, that's one of like the second or third level metrics. All right, let's take a look at, you know, how many proposals have you delivered, you know, year to date, month to date, quarter to date, whatever the metric is. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Wow, you know, it's only it's only four. Well, you know, we know we should be delivering six to eight. You know, what's 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 happening there? Why? And then kind of talk me through. And it's like peeling back an onion, right? When a salesperson is slumping, it's not just one thing. You got to really peel back to find that, you know what? Uh, they, they've, they've got a they've got a personal issue going on with the family right now, and and it's taking their focus and attention away from the job. Okay, I understand that. I'm a father. I'm a husband. All of that, uh, but you got to peel back that onion. And sometimes you use the CRM to use the data to say, look, you know, I wanted you to do X, but you're only doing Y. So let's talk about the delta here. So yeah, I use the CRM for that specific data. Uh, for that. user adoption is always a big issue with CRM. Oh, yeah. um, when you're talking to the, the team members that are resistant to technology, what's the why um, that you give to your team? So I go into the discussion of not only is it our single source of truth for all of our customer work, uh, but we talk about this sales cycle and the sales process and how we're always looking for efficiencies in that process. And one of the ways we do that is look at time and sales stages for a specific opportunity. The way I do that is I look at your entries in the CRM and say, well, this opportunity spent, you know, three months uh, between pre-proposal delivery and when we actually delivered a proposal. Well, if I look across the entire customer base, you know, the average time is 47 days. Why are yours taking 90? And then use that as a source to kind of dig into. So uh, I try to explain to them that the CRM is our one version of the truth. It's how we track our activities. It's what we can point back to if there are any questions. And we use it as a tool to potentially predict future success in our sales process. And when you explain it like that and you make it easy for them to adopt, like we're gonna to go to the web-based uh, platform, you make it easy for them to adopt. You gotta get them over some of the, the adoption fears. Once you do that with a good explanation of why we're doing it, um, people generally get on board. Yeah, oh, I, I, I agree. I mean, you have to have a compelling why that benefits the team. Um, it can't just be in for management or, you know, or the feeling of big brother, but it's got to be a benefit. Yep, agreed. Um, do you have a, uh, 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 a horror story related to CRM from your career where it just was not done the right way? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a horror story. I would just call it, this was not working. So this is many, many years ago, you know, before the big CRMs were, were there were a bunch of little CRMs out right. there for using one of the little ones. Um, and it just wasn't extensible. It wasn't very flexible. Uh, we had, you know, data input issues, which of course led to terrible output. And we were making decisions based on terrible output. And we tracked it back to the fact that we weren't using the system correctly. This was many, many, many years ago. Yep. But I would say today's modern CRMs, you know, they're all, you know, cloud-enabled, web-based type of thing. Uh, some of them are, are, are relatively idiot-proof, okay? If you want to use the basic functionality of any of the big CRMs, um, it's pretty easy to use right out of the box. You know, with one level more of instruction, you can be customizing reports and things like that. And, you know, maybe with two levels of instruction, you can become a super user um, with relative ease. 20 years ago, oh no, that was hard. 
we used a couple of platforms that uh, they've been absorbed by the current you know, large CRM providers, but 20 years ago, they were independent platforms. Um, and it was kind of a nightmare. And we had input issues, which led to output issues, which led to terrible decisions based upon bad data. Yeah, I never, I never want to do that again. <laughs> what about what happens after the, the deal is won? Are you using CRM to manage the, the customer relationship? Yeah, we actually do. I mean, we, we are using our CRM as a true customer relationship uh, uh, mechanism, if you will. Uh, all of our operations team, as they go in and they start performing our services for our clients, uh, they're logging all of their work in the same CRM. So I can literally pull up a, a, a client record and I can look at everything, you know, basically back to the beginning of time and how we are, uh, how we are uh, performing like right now, that's at my fingertips right now. So I don't know, I don't know about other companies, but I can tell you that the company that I'm at now, as small as we are, we do a very, very good job of uh, both sales and operations using the same CRM. So we're all looking at the same data. Very, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest upside surprises of coming to this company, the way we, uh, the discipline we have with our CRM. That's great. It warms my heart because it, it's uh, a lot of companies struggle with that part where CRM so focused on the sales team, they forget that, hey, that's really like this much of the client relationship. There's right. a much bigger, hopefully years of, of uh, relationship that you want to manage and cultivate. And if you have your CRM set up correctly, you can do that. Absolutely. 100% agree. 100%. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone that uh, maybe is coming into a new CRO role and their CRM technology really is not aligned with supporting the sales team and the operations team? I think as a, as a, as a brand new CRO, you really have to understand you know, the, the, the guiding principles of the business, right? What are we really trying to do? What are our customers or clients? What do they look like? What's important to them? What are the goals that we've set as a team, as a leadership team, as a sales team? Understand the environment. When it comes to the CRM, uh, if you're using an underperforming system or a system that just doesn't meet your needs, you'd do well to invest in something that does, especially if you are building relationships for the long term or and in my case, a relatively small company, we're trying to build some structure to, to enable you know, exponential growth of the company. You need a system that's going to document everything. And I'm telling you, it will pay dividends one, two, five, 10 years from now um, if you select the right system uh, and you use it appropriately. It will pay dividends. At some of the smaller companies uh, I've been at, you know, we kind of made use of the CRM and kind of didn't. And there were times we look back, we're like, "Why? Well, I wish we had known, you know, what happened there three years ago. And if it was in the CRM, it would have been at everybody's fingertips. Take the time uh, and invest the appropriate amount of money to make sure you have a, um, a scalable CRM. It'll, it'll pay dividends over the next, you know, one to 10 plus years. That's great. I want to take a few moments to talk about the volunteer work that you do. Can you tell our, our uh, audience about uh, the work that you're doing? So uh, during COVID, as my schedule would kind of ebb and flow in, uh, with customer meetings, uh, I got involved with some mentorship, right? So there's a, an organization here uh, in Rhode Island called RyHub. Uh, and what they do is they look for mentors that mentor young entrepreneurs as they're either starting or trying to grow a business. So I got in touch with the organization through, uh, through some mutual friends that have been doing it for years. 
Uh, and now I sit on uh, I sit on a couple of of basically mentoring boards, not boards of directors, but a mentoring board where I'm brought in as like a sales and marketing mentor to a very young entrepreneur. And I tell you, I have met some, I mean, I, I brilliant it may may not be strong enough, but I've met some very, very smart, you know, young folks, 20s, you know, early 30s kind of thing, uh, trying to get some ventures off the ground. And it's amazing. I didn't even realize that after 30 years in sales, I've learned quite a bit and I'm able to pass on some, some basic nuggets to, to this team. But um, it's all volunteer work. Uh, it might be, you know, a few hours a month here and there. And I'm always available on the phone if the, the CEO, the entrepreneur wants to, uh, to go a little bit deeper. Um, but it started during COVID because I, I said, all right, I'm doing my job. I'm getting things done. I do have a little bit of extra time. Is there something I can do here? What can I do? I'm not going to go consult, you know, for money because I have a full-time job and that wouldn't be ethical. Um, and I found this, this organization called RyHub and it's part of what's called VMS Ven uh, uh, Venture Mentoring Services. There are a few of them around the U.S. It's been a fascinating uh, six months or so as a, as a mentor, formal mentor and coach. I love that you're doing that. I really do. I mean, as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, having resources such as yourself are invaluable. Um, and I think it's tremendous it. that you're you're giving <laughs> away that that time and and your, your experience. That that's tremendous. And, that, and that's and that's exactly what it is. It's just a little bit of my time, uh, and I'll give you as much experience as you can digest. You know, in an hour, or hour and a half, or a couple of sessions. Um, it's like something you have to give back. Okay. This profession in the last 27, 28, 29, 30 years has given me so much. Okay. It's given me so much personally, financially, professionally. Um, I do have to give back. And this is just part of the giving back is spreading the experience and the knowledge uh, and passing that on to the next generation. I think that's it's hugely important. It's, it's our responsibility as leaders. No, I love it. Well, Tony, it has been great having you here on Sales Lead Dog. Um, if people want to reach out and connect, if they want to apply to your job openings, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, okay, there's a couple of different ways, right? So, uh, you know, via email, uh, tdspirito at synergistic.com. Uh, I don't know if you want me to give my mobile number out, but I'll take a mobile call at any time. <laughs> you know, we can put it on the call notes, the show uh, notes. That, that's fine. So, uh, mobile, email, um, I respond. The, po the positions we have posted are currently posted on ZipRecruiter and Indeed.com uh, under the title Regional Vice President. Don't pay attention to the location. We just had to use a specific location. I'm hiring across the U.S. from Maine to Washington right now. Uh, and we are, we're in the active recruiting and hiring phase. That's awesome. Tony, thanks again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the time. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.